This is a Media Lab podcast. Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine. My name is Kyle. Apparently, I'm a test pilot. And I'm the machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. Although I sometimes get flashbacks to a to a better time, Dave. Ah, I'm in a box. The, the machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to. Although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the film, would you maybe say the 1982 classic, Firefox. The action techno thriller <laughs> that would inspire, that would inspire uh, Mozilla to create a browser <laughs> by the same name. The plane. Firefox, the most devastating killing machine ever built. The weapon system is one of the most advanced ever conceived with a thought-guided, thought-controlled arsenal on board the plane. If the Soviets can mass-produce it, it will change the structure of our world. The man, Mitchell Gant, the most daring U.S. fighter pilot ever to fly a plane. There's not a one of you who think I have a chance in the world pulling this off, is it? Of course, a big thank you to our patrons over on Patreon. Their contributions help us continue this show since, you know, the machine doesn't help us pay for these movies. Uh, uh, you know, plus each month we do do a bonus episode over there as well. I have to say, Dave, one other thing that the machine is not doing here for us is providing transportation. We are on the move. DDS, DDS has swooped in underneath us, stolen our arcade emporium, and now we are destitute here in the year 1982. We are literally right. in the year 1982. We're so, poor. Um, That's what it means. We're poor. We're poor. So put out yeah. your thumb. <laughs> put, just put out your thumb. All right, it's up. Even on the Zoom call. I mean, we're together. Uh, uh, we're right beside each other. Oh, this is amazing, Dave. The first yeah. trucker actually is stopping for us. Let's get aboard. Aboard? Oh, what are we going to do with a board? going to push you push you up into there. It's the machine getting into it. And I'm going to get in. Oh, Dave, we're really scrunched in here. It looks like there's a... Another person here. Hi, what? Uh, my name's Kyle. This is Dave, machine, right here. What's uh, What's your name? Uh, my name's John, and I'm a big Clint Eastwood fan. I've got my wallet here of oh. burnt DVDs, and I've I've got them all. <laughs> wow, great! That's well, convenient because like, we're super convenient. Yeah, for our show, Dave. About a Clint Eastwood film. <laughs> wow. This is amazing. Hopefully, you have a DVD player. <laughs> uh, we, by the machine actually is a built-in DVD and VHS player. Great, actually. So it's it's kind of a dual that we have Just, with it. Just got to find the right slot. Nice of, uh, nice of Bubba here to have stopped for us here and driving us along the road. Ugh. Do you have some time then to like watch and talk about the 1982 movie Firefox? I've got nothing but time to talk about Excellent. Clint Eastwood movies. I, I also noticed this little badge you're wearing here on your, on your coat. Are you one of the hosts of the previously known podcast called The Dirty Harry Minute? One and the same for all my sins. <laughs> Yes. That's right. What was that about? <laughs> we were reviewing every minute of the 1971 classic film starring Clint Eastwood. Part of the movies by Minute Project, we picked a movie we liked, something we liked, and just devoted our energies to reviewing every single minute, credits, bathroom scenes, mm -hmm. everything. 
this is kind of a big thing, I would say, in the podcasting world, going through a movie like minute by minute and making your whole podcast around that. I, I know it from Star Wars. That's how I think the one of the first ones that was doing it. Mm-hmm. My question to you is when you do a project like that and you force yourself, we're only talking about this one minute of the film. How does that make you re-engage with it? Like, are you just watching that minute or are you like rewatching scenes to like keep it fresh in your mind? Like, how are you doing it? Well, before I started, I, you know, it's my favorite movie. I've watched it hundred, like literally 200 times in my life. And I just sat okay. down one day and said, I'm just going to go through and describe first in a paragraph what happens in every minute. The actors in it, the background, uh, the cinematography, um, lame attempts at jokes. I'd, you know, earmark some discussions of how it relinks to other Clint Eastwood movies. And mm-hmm. uh, just trying to get, how, uh, you know, the universe, the multiverse of Clint Eastwood. That's how I sort of approached it. And- uh Basically, really cool. I also yeah. got on lots of funny comedian guests because I knew I couldn't bring the funny every single minute. I can do it a few seconds at a time, but not for a full minute. There's just no way. Yeah. I'd argue you've never been funny. If Dirty Harry is your favorite movie, like is Clint Eastwood then like favorite actor, favorite director? Or just It just so happens that it's your favorite movie. He probably is um, pound for pound. The I mean, I've seen his entire filmography, most films, you know, dozens of times each. So I'd say on that score, uh, you know, I don't, I don't put him up on a pedestal as a particularly diverse actor. I don't think you do. I don't think anyone does. But pound for pound, yeah. I think probably my favorite artist. I mean, in terms of actor and director, yeah, for sure. Uh, well, Dave and I really talked about that because we saw the two films in 1971. Technically, there's a third film that we never actually watched. But the two big ones, of course, the first one he directs, Play Misty for Me, mm-hmm. Dirty Harry, sort of this kind of big franchise for him. But Dave, I, I don't know if you want to speak to this just a little bit, but how we really felt like, is there anyone else that we could even even closely compare Clint Eastwood to? Someone who had a career beforehand, became a director, and then had, just had the longevity of that career. Not yet. I, I mean, it's it's incredible to think of a person. It's like it's not even just his accomplishments and the franchises he's been in, but learning that he had already had a sort of middling career before he had a career as well. I mean, he was not a young right. man when he broke out. So uh, he's a fascinating human being. I think we were. I mean, this is a year ago, but I feel like we were trying loosely our best to come up with a couple of comparables, but I, I couldn't name yeah, anybody who comes like, even close. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think if there was someone like right now who just kind of switched mostly to directing, mm. but I don't think that that is even, there's a, a good comparison I could think of. Like, I don't know. Orange the name that popped up to my mind is like Jake Gyllenhaal, but I, I think he's too famous. <laughs> he's directing? No, I'm just saying that like, if he turned to directing and then, then like had another 50 year career oh, of directing, a, yeah. it's like, no, that's, pretty <laughs> that's a what if. You know what? You know what's funny? I had an old encyclopedia of directors and I think it was mm-hmm. from maybe 90, no, sorry, 80, mid 80s, 84 and 85. And it compared Eastwood in that, in his entry to Burt Reynolds at the time who'd made sort of a oh, few films. And I thought that's, <laughs> that didn't, that, 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 yeah, that didn't continue that didn't for much longer. Like, no. Yeah, it diverged <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> um, at, at any rate, he's a very unique person yeah. and to learn as well that his directing style is, is so Clint Eastwood. And he's yeah, just it's like one or two takes, yeah, move show on. Up and he's like, just fucking act. <laughs> and then you're done. That, and it's great. That is, yeah. I think that is the pro and con of his artistry in a way, because I think I even said this last week. When you have a movie, let's just say Unforgiven mm. as the example, oh, yeah. when you have great actors, you can probably just do one or two takes and move on. When you have maybe untrained or beginning actors to starting out, there's some movies that he's directed that I'm like, well, maybe you should have tried the third time. 
on the stake here. I would have uh, been nailed a little bit better than what uh, when that was, but. So let's talk about Firefox. Firefox, well, sure. Uh, <laughs> before we get into that, I thought we should do some history. I, I wanted us to kind of bridge the gap of the last time we talked about Clint Eastwood in 1971 versus where he is now. And John, you can kind of bring in maybe some of his more acting roles. I've, I'm just going to focus on his directing mm -hmm. right now, of like what other movies he's directed in that time. And you can really start to see I think a few different threads that start to become synonymous with his work. But just to put it plainly, so 1971, right, Play Misty for Me comes out. It's a two-year break, but in 1973, he comes out with two movies. So the first one is High Plains Drifter, kind of another Western movie that he was well-known for. Guy that was wronged coming into town and, you know, basically forcing the town to give him a bunch of money, a bunch of supplies so he can take out the bad guys that are coming yeah. his way. I actually, I enjoyed it. I actually, I, I, I'm going to say I watched all these movies in preparation for this week's movie. Kyle. It's just the, the gapped ones here. Kyle, and now. did you find it a little bit problematic or a bit hard to watch some of the scenes with women? Yes. Yeah. There, there is, well... <laughs> There's, there's not one, but there's two rape scenes yeah. in this movie. I would say this, if this is me, I know as a man with a bunch of privilege, one, at the very least, they call out as being problematic in the yeah. movie. The second one, they sure don't. And it just feels like he had, it's Clint Eastwood's magic dick that changes her mind uh -huh. about things. It's, it's very weird. Yeah. The other movie that came out in 1973 is Breezy, mm. which seems like this weird left turn in his career. He doesn't star in it. It's um, William Holden coming back again he's great and oh let me just Kay lens yes yeah who plays breezy i think this is one of her first roles um and i didn't like this movie to be honest with you this is a uh, uh older man younger woman she's a hippie he's kind of like conservative they fall in love that's yeah. basically what this this movie is and i don't really know why eastwood was even attracted to it in the first place it's like i say it's a really weird entry into his whole filmography uh, and probably someone else that might have been more i've only watched this once yeah this is the only movie in his yeah. filmography i've watched once i just had no interest to watch it again what do you call it in the northern mm -hmm. hemisphere you say it's a september to may romance type thing and the age is the age discrepancy too much may december know. romance yeah maybe he just took it to sort of i don't know naively think he could show another aspect of himself uh, to to tame it down his be. brutal image yeah Dave, have you seen either of those? Uh, High Plains Drifter, I've heard of. I don't know if yeah. I've seen it. You're describing rape scenes, and I'm like, I don't remember that. Uh, no. Also, if he's got a gun and a hat, it might just be like every Western movie he's been in. This feels... Yeah. Not to be too Pretty dark. dismissive, but... Yeah. yeah. Oh, that one? Okay. It's probably yeah. the darkest role he's ever played, I'd say. Yeah, like, he, he is... That is the one thing, too. Like, he is not portrayed as a nice guy in that movie, even from frame one. Like, he is... Not even an anti-hero. He's just a bad guy that the town feels compelled that they need to hire to get rid of the other bad guys that are coming his way. Pretty well filmed, though. Like yeah. It's very lyrical, the, mm -hmm. the paint, the palette, the visual palette, so to speak. So, 75, so there's another two-year break. And in 75, he brings out the Iger Sanction. Dave, <laughs> have you heard about this movie at all? I've heard of it, yes. I have not watched it. So strange. Very strange movie. And I do actually want to bring this back up when we do talk about Firefox. I think there is, is an interesting comparison to go on with this. Mm. Dave, you and I, I remember talking about this in our Diamonds Are Forever episode, where the producers, the Broccoli's, actually considered getting Clint Eastwood after... Um, Sean Connery. Sean mm -hmm. Connery. When he left the first time, 
they thought, well, let's get Clint Eastwood. And I think smartly, Eastwood is like, no, it has to be a British person. You, you can't get an American to become James Bond. This is him trying to be James Bond as an American. Yeah. <laughs> it is, but it has like, like can't a, be James Bond. Yes. Yeah. So we have like the like an albino a guy who's like the lead. Um, the guy saying I'm out on missions. Yeah. There's a, I guess, a mute Native American woman who can like run really fast and like throws knives at people. Like mm. it's very James Bond campy. My issue with this, this is also another one I didn't quite like, is that I think Clint Eastwood gets a little bit criticized for, at least in his very early movies, about the humor he tries to inject in it. And he's trying to be like winky wink to the camera. Yeah. And for me, it just doesn't work. It's like, this is not what you're made for <laughs> this you're a man of few words you should not be trying to like do jokes but i don't know how about you john do you have any hot takes on the Iger sanction well it's very interesting it's a curio in his career he's never really done mm-hmm. we'll talk about firefox of course being being an exception but he's never done spectacle movies yes i would agree with that and this it's just with fascinating special effects yeah. and stuff yeah yep. Yeah, no, I really quite like the Iger sanction, but um, yeah, his attempts at humor, uh, they all sort of fall flat. There's also the campy, gay, sort of evil, double-crossing oh, character yes. that's a bit- I don't know if it's fun to watch. I didn't think so, no. but the uh, the biggest thing is, is that that character, the who is is a homosexual, like he says straight up that he is, yeah. his little dog is the F word oh, yeah. slur yeah, for, right. for gay people, and they use that- like seven times in two minutes. It's just like, okay, guys, like we get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get it. So that hasn't aged like super, super well. There's certain moments. I think like his sense of um, vistas and stuff like that for the mountain shots and stuff are beautiful. I think there's actually some neat stuff in this. I just don't think he plays the James Bond-ish character all that well. Although it's supposed to be a parody. It's supposed to be a parody of the original book, isn't it? Or Yeah, the book is a parody, but I don't think the movie is. Like it just mm-hmm. doesn't ever set that tone for me. But definitely, yeah, I think... There's a lot of stuff going on in there. However, <laughs> 76, we have The Outlaw Josie Wales, oh, yeah. which I loved. So I thought cool. that was a great movie. And is the first film that Sandra Locke is in, who's an important relationship for him. You've seen uh, Josie Wales, Dave? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have. Yeah, what were I your have. thoughts? If you remember anything from I it. I don't remember it. No, I didn't watch it with you. No. This week. <laughs> I know, I'm just saying. <laughs> if you have seen it, though. Yeah, I mean... Uh... I don't know. Like I said, I think they start bleeding into one from my memory because I don't watch a lot of Clint Eastwood uh, other than our podcast. I can't remember mm. the last time I watched Unforgiven. It has to be three or four years ago. So, Oh, we can throw that on. Yeah. Man With No Name we watched. Uh, mm. Sorry, the first uh, Sergio Leone. Is it? No. Good, Bad, and the Ugly? What's the first one? Uh, no, it's not. Fistful like of the third Dollars. One. Yeah. Fistful yeah. of Dollars. Um, that was on Netflix for a little while mm-hmm. here in Canada. So I watched that. But that also was year one COVID. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. right, right, right. Dave, do you, do you think the Dollars trilogy are good because of Eastwood or despite him? Do, do you think it stacks mm, up? Is no, he the best I'm, part about it or not? I, I think it plays on his magnetism as the, um, you know, grisly tobacco chewing dude. Mm. But I think what makes those amazing is Sergio Leone's just wide scope, like his panoramic vision of, of Mexico or wherever they are in, in the three films. So um, it could have been I anyone. Think a, it could have been James Coburn. No, it could have been. Uh, 
Yeah, I, no, I we think saw he James Coburn. I, and, I would say he adds to them. Yeah, I we saw Coburn is, and what was the other one? Uh, Dynam, uh, a, a ducky, ducky sucker. sucker. Yeah. And yeah. He couldn't carry it the same way. So it's definitely Clint. Uh, there's a reason why he became so famous. But I think what makes those movies timeless is not just him. And I think right. we'll see yes. that with his career is that I don't know if he can himself hold a film necessarily. I think he needs to be placed uh, in, a, in a lot of environmental beauty. I mean, that's yeah. what makes Unforgiven so perfect is that it's so wide in its breadth, you know, yeah. if it's shot in a very narrow sort of portrait form. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it works that well, but that thing is just huge. I will also say, I don't know if this was intentional necessarily on Eastwood's part, but at least in these early films that he directed, remember we're in the early 70s. So there is supporting and main roles by black actors. All the Native Americans are actually Native American actors for the most yeah, part. So, like, yeah, yeah. he was kind of on the, weird, woke. On, the, yeah. on the forefront of the 70s, like, uh, yeah. uh, push for civil rights and stuff like was, that. So, he's uh, an interesting character that he was way. He's having sex with everybody. He was doing his best. Yes, that right? is true. Yeah, he's out there. Until Sandra Locke or whatever his name is. Yeah. Josie Wales, great. My, my only one, like, small criticism here, and I, I, I get pushed back on this a bit, but it's just uh, my main criticism for so many Western films made in the U.S., is that it's usually from the Confederate point of view yeah. where it's them who are like the quote unquote good guys and they have to fight off the union. And I get it. They're, you can tell stories and there's complicated characters, et cetera, et cetera. It's mostly just because it's almost every Western does it that way that it starts to be like, this seems weird. Why is it always well, the Confederate point of view? Next, you're going to tell me John Wayne isn't his actual name. The Western cowboy idea is an American South ideology. The mm -hmm. pro-democratic fighters were in large urban centers mm. you know the only people that mm. wanted civil rights were from cities but the movie doesn't paint him he's not a good old boy from louisiana or he's something not. he's supposed to be he's from not. the no. borderlands where it's i don't understand the history in kansas where it was sort of a, a proposition where, where yeah. they're going to go yeah and so he's recruited yeah. by the confederate rebels i don't know he's not strictly with yeah. the confederacy is he yeah it, it, they are there just for um convenience sake let's just put it that way for mm. him to get what he wants the revenge against the killing of his wife yeah. and, and son yeah he's he's never political in his storytelling it's not like gone with the wind <laughs> no no that <laughs> right yeah when you watch that now you're like ooh, that's uh some very unhappy looking yeah. black folk on the uh, civil yes. civil side and very happy looking slaves there's a message a there coded a message. message here but kyle know? i love the agency he gives up chief uh what's his name chief dan George? Uh, Chief Dan George. He's also in Little yeah, Big Man. great in this movie. He's he, awesome, yeah. He was actually nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this movie, Deserved I found, it, I really think. think. Deserved, yeah. yeah. he's great. He's so good. So, finally, the last two here. So, that was in 76. In 77, we have The Gauntlet, oh, oh, uh, oh. another movie with Sandra Locke. <laughs> and this is kind of like a neo-Western in insofar as it's basically he's this cop, drunken cop, sent on this mission to retrieve this girl and bring her back <laughs> from Las Vegas. So, Las Vegas to Arizona somewhere. And then, once you know it... Everybody tries to kill him. The mob is trying to kill him. Former police are trying to kill him. His boss sent him there so that he could be killed off sort of thing. So it was like a setup from the beginning. And it's just him trying to get back. I'm going to probably have some hot takes for this one and for this movie and the next one. I like this movie. I don't know. I it's not anything amazing or great, but it's like it's a little uh, action film. I actually enjoyed this for what it was. You um, like don't to you have see. Any, any special? <laughs> yeah. I've never particularly liked it. Once again, there's a few nasty bits in the in the car mm -hmm. against women and he actually punches Sonderlog, doesn't he, at one point? Sure does. But the Just like he yeah. does in um, Play Misty for Me, punches yeah. a woman right out the window. <laughs> but um, That, that was the funniest part of that movie. It's terrible to say, but yeah. Jesus, what a, what a finale. 
I think you just like um, like a Dirty Harry that's a bit dumb and not sort of switched on. And um, I don't know. I I never find myself watching it, but you find it a bit charming, do you? <laughs> I do. I'm like I said. This is this would probably like if I was making a list of my favorite Clint Eastwood movies, it would probably be in the middle of it. I just don't think it's bad. I right. guess that's where my my hot take is from. I don't find it a bad movie. Here is going to be my super hot take of this entire little run through. So we have the one of the biggest breaks in his directing career. It was a full three years from '77 to 1980 so 1980 he brings out this movie called bronco billy which nobody has talked about and probably no one has watched since it came out in 1980 it's great it's great i really like this movie (laughs) i thought it was really fun he's the head of this wild west show uh and sandra Locke is like this heiress like rich woman who gets left behind by her husband and then she has to become part of the show and then they fall in love like, it's really a nothing movie, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, yeah, I love, I always love, like, alternate, like, show business movies where you're seeing the behind the scenes of something. Yeah. And this is like, yeah, it's a little Wild West show that picks up and goes to the next town and tries to make a living. And uh, I had a lot of fun with this, but I don't think anyone's talked about this movie since it came out. Apart from the French, apparently this was one of the movies in Honky Tonk Man that came out in 82 after Firefox that... um Mm-hmm. Sort of earned him respect with, you know, the Cahiers du Cinema. Yeah, just like John Carpenter. Oh, Cahiers, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But wailed, he's always, you know, the French get me, Europeans get me, why don't you Americans get me? And mm-hmm. yeah. But it's a lovely, charming yeah. little movie. Quite, it actually, I, not in a big way, I don't tear up, but it's quite nice at the ending when she comes back and they're yeah. reunited. Yeah. You know, as a Clint Eastwood aficionado, this sounds like a film that American audiences might have liked is there a reason why it disappeared or is it just one of those things i think it is just one of those things i mean essentially he is a loser right who's delusional as he says he you know i grew up in i grew up in a new jersey tenement and um you know i was a shoemaker or i worked in a a shoe factory or something and i am who i want to be about refashioning yourself according to the american dream i don't know maybe it was a bit too sour or Maybe it's just you know, too, too much real. Too real, yeah. <laughs> it's offending Americans. They're like, oh, I, shit, I think, he's talking about me. But <laughs> no, I think you might be hitting on something here is I think I think American audiences, especially at that time, I don't know necessarily about now or not, but I think especially in the time getting into the 80s, you know, Reagan is president, the loser idea, I just is not, I don't think that's something that they wanted to see. They could maybe take a little bit of that, but you have to be like absolutely 100% heroic by the end. Yeah. And I think that they were so used to Clint being like, grab the gun, shoot the guy, go on. And him being a little bit more downtrodden. I don't know if that's what they wanted in their Clint They weren't ready movie. for it. Mm. But it's, it's fascinating to me that these first seven movies that he directs, I would say a bit rocky and stuff here or there. I think even at the time, if you had told him, if you went and sat someone down, like, by the way, he's going to still be making movies in 40 years <laughs> yeah. from now. People will be like, okay, buddy, have fun. And they're going to get better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he will learn his craft. No <laughs> Anything that you want to say about like his like this early career at all, John? Um, that there's just fascinating movies left, right, and center that uh, mm-hmm. are really quite enjoyable. I don't think you could ever say Clint really progressed as an actor. Yeah, but he's very conscious. He knows what his skills are. He knows he's the type of actor that just gonna like he says rule through lines of dialogue. You know, if they don't know my motivation, if they don't know me as a movie star, then the movie's failed. It just yeah, I'm just gonna squint and and uh, refuse <laughs> yeah. to act and I'll let the plot do the <laughs> acting for me, sort of, so to speak. Well, but, but that is really the difference between what we call like movie actors versus movie stars, right? Mm. Like if, if you are a star, those are the people who like maybe have a very limited thing that they can do. 
but that is what their draw is. Like, I just want to see you do that thing. I don't need you to try and push yourself or be anything more than what you are. And from the early days of cinema to, to, to present day, you see that all the time. Which is why I usually push back a little bit when I hear people use that as an argument against a, a, a movie. It's like, oh, he's just playing the same character he always does. It's like, yeah, well, that's kind of the deal. <laughs> that's works, that's why they're making this movie. But some actors, some movie stars get a pass. And I think, I don't think mm-hmm. you're particularly versatile. Like, do you really think... Don't tell anyone I said this. Do you really think Robert Redford is particularly diverse in his right. acting? He gets a pass, you know. Yeah. 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 He's good looking. Good looking he, guy. Yeah. yeah. He's, uh, <laughs> his character is like the uh, charming con man. So it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He's always he's always so sly. And uh, you're right. He's not a lot of range. Have we seen him cry? Huh. <laughs> to think about that. My, my favorite story about Robert Redford, I think it was... Mike Nichols, the director, is that uh, Redford wanted to be in a movie and Nichols was like, no, I'm not going to cast you. This guy's a loser. I can't cast you as a loser. It, <laughs> no one like, will believe what, it. What, yeah. Well, like no one will believe it. And he's like, and then he asked Robert Redford that question. It's like, uh, what would you do if a woman ever turned you down at a bar? And Robert Redford didn't understand the question. <laughs> he's like, what do you mean turn me down at a bar? Because like, it never happened to him before. <laughs> you mean she won't have sex with me? <laughs> yeah. So. I'll get back to you on that. I've also never been turned down at a bar. I'm that sexy. You know who's good at the flip side? Uh, Paul Newman. Paul Newman mm-hmm. could play both sides, yes. which is fascinating. Yeah, he could play sinister too if you really yeah, wanted to. So, he was, yeah. uh, he's a great actor. A little, far, a little forgotten now, which is too bad. He's mm-hmm. uh, one of the greats. You've also not mentioned Escape from Alcatraz, which he didn't, he didn't direct. Mm, that was direct, Don Siegel. But but yeah, that also didn't, a big movie. That's right. Well, I don't know how it was box office wise, but- it's sort of, you get the no. feeling by 82, he was maybe a little bit scarred. Yeah, he wanted mm. something surefire or Firefox, perhaps. Yeah, that, that, that's <sighs> also true. I think that you kind of start to see that, like Spielberg very famously has this maxim of like, one for me, one for you. Like, that's how he picks his projects. It's like, I'll do the big blockbuster thing that's supposed to drive people. Mm. And I'm going to do my little intimate movie that's kind of for me because I want to do it. And, I'm, and I think that Clint specifically getting into like the 80s and 90s is like, I need my surefire hit, and then maybe I'll do something a little bit out there, but I need my surefire hits that are going to be there. I need my, you know, Dirty Harry 4, and I need my, that war movie he does in the 80s. I can't remember what it's called, but you know. (laughs) Heartbreak Ridge. Those types of things where it's like, this is probably going to drive audiences to there, so I can go and fund my little weird jazz movie (laughs) called Bird (laughs) that nobody's seen, but (laughs) interesting guy. Firefox. Dave, have you ever heard heard of this movie before? No. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. John, I'm sure you've seen this movie before. Any any thoughts before we watch it here again? I first watched this when I watched I first watched Dirty Harry when I was fifteen or something in the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. Oh, Dirty Harry changed my life. But anyway, I did the deep dive <laughs> on the Clint Eastwood filmography. Mm-hmm. And Firefox was always the one in the corner of my store, a small mum and dad video shop that was always dusty and it looked like no one ever touched it or neglected. And I right. watched it maybe when I was 16 or so, and I hated it. I thought it was mm-hmm. boring, <laughs> long. Um, you know, in the in the 90s, you're sort of trained to think that 80s, you know, sci-fi or 80s mm. special effects were shit. And so, I was generally mm-hmm. enculturated with that belief and I thought, this is really boring. And then I didn't, I put it away, didn't watch it again until maybe five years ago. Now, I quite like it. I the, th- the things that I previously hated about it, like the long start introduction, which some reviewers I've read have called it the Disneyfication of a Lacar espionage novel, end quote. Um, I really find engaging. Uh, I, I don't particularly care for him in the movie. I think anyone could have done it. Um, 
he uses PTSD as sort of a cover for a character sometimes. But I really, I'm quite enamored by the movie now. Like, I give it a solid oh, 7 out of 10, yeah. Just like Dave, honestly, I have n- I never heard of this movie before. And uh, that hurts my pride a little bit because I like to be the snobby person. I'm like, mm, I've heard of this movie, Dave, and you haven't heard of this movie. But literally, I've never heard of this movie in my entire life. If you gave John a list of all the greatest films that you have not actually watched while yeah, watching every film that Clint Eastwood has directed from 71 <laughs> until 82... <laughs> Sure. I mean, hey, you're you're a strange you're a strange man, Kyle. I am now a, a Bronco man. Billy fan. Okay, <laughs> I am I'm pro Bronco Billy. I, I had to sacrifice. I had to sacrifice a lot. Um, you know, doing the deep dives in Clint Eastwood. Like there are many big Actually, movies I've never like seen. That. I've never seen. I've never seen Alien. I've never Ooh. seen. Wow. Godfather Two. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to get on Ooh. that. Yeah. Okay, let's do this. Dave and I are going to sequester ourselves here a little bit further uh, into the corner of this of this truck, and we're going to thank some sponsors. And then when we return, we'll be talking a little bit more about Firefox. Do you, would you ever want to like neural link yourself to any type of vehicle? Yeah, that's the only way to drive. I mean, if the car is not connected to my brain, how does it know? how I feel. I just feel like the first person to throw a virus or some sort of like, I don't know, Trojan horse or something into that. It just gets into your mind. And then I'm just speaking wingdings for the rest of my life. I feel like we aged ourselves because mm-hmm. do they still call them Trojan horses? Is that Who still cares? a virus? <laughs> I'm sure it is. Dave, we're old. I think that's what we can, we can confidently Darren say. Darren Tootin. Kyle Davis' Machine, of course, is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, a locally grown, community-supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. We're brought to you this week by something. Good tone. Ah, yes. We are brought to you this week by Pod Power. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters, this episode, Edmonton Community Foundation, NOTHA, is helping us give a pod power shout out to Dave, pick a number between zero and seven. Seven. Great. We're going to talk about Your Forest. Your Forest is a podcast about the natural world. Hear stories about the environment, renewable resources, conservation, forestry, hunting, fishing, and more. This is a podcast for those who cannot live without the joys and wonders of all things, all wild things, in fact. Find Your Forest wherever you get your podcasts or at yourforestpodcast.com. That's yourforestpodcast.com. Dave, what happens if where I get my podcasts is by some guy with a trench coat who just has CDs when he opens up his coat? Is he wearing clothes or no clothes? I I mean, he has his trench coat. (laughs) Our second sponsor is the Alberta Blue Cross. Kyle? Even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day, you are calm and collected when it comes to your group benefit plan. Kyle, it's because you're not taken care of by Alberta Blue Cross. If you were, you would know that your employees can manage their own health, dental, life, and disability coverage online anytime on any device. Yeah, you fucking idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Turn on your blender. Make it easier for them and for you. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. This truck ride is making me nauseous. 
All right. Well, we've just watched Firefox. So inside uh, the cab of a truck. Well played, yeah. pal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is working Distracted great. driving. Bubba <laughs> veered off the road here quite a few times. But John, let's say that you, let's say all three of us had been at an air show. We're just like uh, sitting down okay. in our lawn chairs, Drop. waiting for the big fighter jets to go and fly over top of us. And a young kid <laughs> runs up to you with a VHS copy of Firefox in their hands. And they're like, please tell me, what is this movie about? How would you describe the plot of Firefox? I'd say a pilot, American pilot, um, who's suffering from PTSD, is sent undercover into Russia to steal a very super-duper jet fighter that could, you know, if the Americans don't have it, it could give the Russians, you know, the balance in the Cold War. I'd say it's also genre-wise, it's sort of like a heist-style mm-hmm. adventure. Yeah, you can never trust one of those ruskies. In wow. this this time watching it, I mean, do you still feel the same feelings you did before? Is this still something that you enjoy? I like I mentioned before, I do enjoy it. Uh, I, I enjoy it a lot more than I, I did when I first encountered it as a teenager. And the first half of the movie, um, get in, getting into Russia and so forth, I really quite found engaging but then at the end i don't like how the movie ends maybe just the last two or three minutes it's like a just a wet fart of an ending (laughs) i thought there'd be some reunion or something with you know the crazy english kooks or whatever like you did it old boy or something or i wanted there to be more there's no real surprises in the movie except maybe at the end where it's revealed on there's a a second prototype that can refuel in the air and and also the secretary's coming and it's going to be more there's no real there's no real surprises or tension i guess oh, no there's a delayed tension what what do mm-hmm. you think dave do you, i mean yeah dave you famously are not a teenager so this first time that you're <laughs> watching it well listen, <laughs> what were your thoughts it, it sounds like john and i might be the same age cuz i was a teenager in the mid 90s too i i really did not respect this film i think hmm. i texted you i thought i thought it was pretty dumb i don't think i was prepared for how weak the plotting was, like the idea of a Vietnam vet, but then this heist, like he looks like every single person they've placed for him to be disguised as. And like, Hmm. it's just turned into this thing where I was like, all right, well, I mean, I guess that's fine. (laughs) The uh, fighter jet scene, like just to be really petty about the special effects, as soon as the fighter plane came on, it reminded me of like Superman, uh, Hmm. the Christopher uh, Reeve. Yeah, uh, like all uh, the um, the the blue screening, and I just I was like, that's not what Jesse. That is anymore. that is a twenty twenty two contest. I know, I know, and I mean, this is a guy that you know. Never mind. Well, Top Gun leaves real planes, but like I liked Iron Eagle and all those old eighties. Right. Uh, so I, I know that if I watched the films that I uh, prized when I was a teenager, they probably don't hold up as well. But it was a bit of a stumbling block because by the time like you brought up John, by the time I get to the fighter scene, I I'm expecting a payoff because yeah. <laughs> he's worked pretty fucking hard. Right, mm-hmm. he's he's killed some people. Some people have died kind of needlessly. That whole fire scene. I mean, it's just he nails that Russian accent, though. <laughs> they're trying so hard to, you know, they're bringing in Jewish scientists. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Soviet intrigue. I don't know. I don't know why the British guy is involved. You didn't really need a British guy to run that operation. Uh, mm. It's just they're trying to pull in so many different intellectual perspectives in a way <laughs> and i just i wasn't won over by any of them i'm also slightly negative on this movie too but i think in a different way <laughs> i guess from you i think this is so obviously based on a book where it probably works way better in that it's like we could probably get his internal 
thoughts and what's going on and like what he's doing and i don't know if it ever really translates onto screen for me in quite a like a super engaging way do you think if robert redford did this film it would work yes he would have worked 100 (laughs) percent. i think my favorite parts of this movie are when he does get to rush and he's doing some of like that subterfuge and stuff like that like the train i do think the train sequence takes a little bit too long but uh but when he's in the car and they're getting in there and he's like doing the drops and all that kind of stuff. That's just me being a spy slash heist movie fan. So I like always like the process of getting that stuff done. And even like the the tying together of like, OK, these people that we met early are, earlier on are now the scientists and they're going to help the guy. And you have to be here. And as soon as you go ahead, take this shower. And when you hear the, the siren go, <laughs> the you're going to be going down there. I was going to say a three hour shower. A three hour shower. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. It was was a follow-up to Gilligan's Island. It was a really fascinating show. And there's parts of this movie that I think, oh, yeah, this is pretty interesting. But as a whole package, I don't know if it really gelled together. It was the first um, time Clint had really produced a a book, adapted a book. Mm, Outlaw Josie Wales, I think, had been an unpublished sort of memoir, Mm -hmm. uh, unpublished piece. But um, usually Clint gets his scripts on the cheap and stuff. So maybe it was uh, his his unsureness on how to adapt it. and yeah, too much money. And you know, he got the the script from his pilot, his helicopter pilot that does the aerial oh. sequences for his movies. That's oh, that's where he came, the book came from. Yeah, he said yeah, you should read okay. it, Clint. Apparently, so. Oh, interesting. I mean, like I can see why someone would want to do this, and I get the I, I can't set this conversation up here with uh, comparing this somewhat to the Iger sanction. In the Iger sanction, yeah. it's like a little bit more winky winky, you know, spy stuff that's going on. Here is much more serious. Like this is like like a John Le Carre novel or something like that. Yes. Like it's trying to be a little bit more serious than that, while also being very science fictiony at the same time. I don't know. I have this like theory going on that. Clint really wanted to be in a spy series and he was trying to make it work. <laughs> and neither of the times he tried it did it work. So he kind of just abandoned that idea and just went back to the like the westerns and stuff like that that he knew he could do. I don't know if you have an idea on that, John, or, or any uh, rebuttals. Well, I just think he was preoccupied with making something like recouping his cachet after the failure, relative failure of Bonka Billy and. Um, mm-hmm. I guess he realizes he's 52 and that's sort of unprecedented that you've still got acting like 20 years prior. That would be, you know, you'd just be in character Mm -hmm. actor resignation. You wouldn't be a leading man of that age. Maybe he's seeing where the wind's blowing. It's, you know, the, you know, the kids are in control of the studios again and it's science fiction that people are clamoring for. And yeah, that's true. Yeah. Do you think that's why they add in the neural, because the neural link thing does not actually play a huge role. Yeah, that's uh, right. He thinks in Russian, Dave, and then he can do stuff. <laughs> but it's so. weird because you can do that with a button on your, uh, on your, right. you know, on the plane. But I mean, to your point, John, I mean, I, is that, I mean, I've never read the book, but I wonder if- Nor have I. Nor I wonder have if I. They, maybe not add it in, but they've really made a big deal about how it's so high tech and all you have to do is mm-hmm. think and the plane will kill whatever you want. Which mm-hmm. as soon as they said that, I was thinking like, I have weird thoughts all the time. I would accidentally <laughs> kill so many things. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's like being in a long, boring meeting. And it's like, I would kill yeah. this guy. Yeah. Oh, and God, no. People God, fucking exploding everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> too quick. I'd kill so many people, but it'd be on purpose. Yeah, it's never really used, is it? Because doesn't not the really. prototype, it's not armed. Like- it's not as if he's competing with another dogfighter that's got that's right. missiles. The second yeah. one. Yeah. They, do they have a dog? Oh, no. They chase each other. No, it's Yeah, but the other know, prototype no. doesn't have any weapon. Well, he's probably got bullets, I guess. 
commercial yeah, I think bullets. He yeah. shoots at him. Uh, honestly, I don't. I actually don't That's remember it. the dog. That's fight. it. It's not yeah. very memorable. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> but did you like the? <laughs> did you like the um, audio over the top? Like think in Russian. It's sort of like you <laughs> use the force, Luke. <laughs> Uh, it's got almost it's just, a 60s vibe to it, right? I yeah. know. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a little <laughs> bit hokey, I would say. Unlike other movies that we've talked about this year, Dave, where like I have ultimately not liked them, it's not like this burning hate I have for this. No. It's, like, it's almost like this feels like a missed opportunity. This feels like, uh, I mean, in 71, it was our red sun, which is like, there's so many good ideas in this and it just doesn't, is not coming together, which is unfortunate. Have, and that's kind of how I feel about this. Have you heard of Red Sun, John? No, I've heard of Red Dawn. Is Red Sun the Arnold Schwarzenegger one in Russia? No. Uh, no. Red, red Sun was a movie in 1971 that had Charles Bronson, Tashira Mufune, and uh, what's that? Alain Delon from Alain France. Delon. About a samurai and a cowboy on a train teaming up to kill bandits. Like, that wow. sounds, sounds fucking awesome. amazing. <laughs> but the movie's so great. boring. Yeah. Uh, and there's- Charles, and these are, Bronson dials it in? Bronson's just his normal- person. Oh, he's Bronson all right. Bronson's <laughs> Bronson it, yeah. And that one, he takes off his shirt. I don't remember why. And you're like, wow, they definitely had steroids in 1971 because he was fucking ripped. And Ooh. Tashir Mufun is a little bit old, but they have some great, some great zen battles. It's a really- mm. I mean, there's so much meat, Kyle. Mm-hmm. In this movie, I don't think it's that level, but, you know, if you gave that premise about spies and stealing planes, that's like uh, classic 80s military shit. You know, Rambo mm-hmm. could pull that off, but, you know, <laughs> was it Clint's fault? I don't know. Like, as an actor? I honestly think he should have had someone else in the lead role in this movie. Because I think as a director, he's doing fine work in this. Like, there's nothing that I'm like, oh, this is bad directing. He gets good performances out of everyone else. I just think mm-hmm. there maybe needed someone to be a little bit more nuanced, especially, this is my biggest takeaway from this, they would not have called it PTSD at the time in 1982. Mm-hmm. Yeah, called but, something else in this film too. Um, yeah, I forget what they were tra- uh-huh. Shell shock is what it used to be called, and it right. changed mm-hmm. into something else. And then Battle fatigue? Was that the word? Battle fatigue, something, yeah, something yeah. like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. regardless, like he is having flashbacks to his time in the Vietnam War. And every time there's like the flashback, like he has like an attack, it's like, <laughs> oh, this, this isn't really working for me. It looks like you're having bad gas to me <laughs> rather than <laughs> it actually being <laughs> really two, being. Two questions. Yeah. In the, in the, context of the flashback do you reckon he actually saved the vietnamese girl that's featured or not and no. two yeah no 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 way and second of all um it's totally bad medical science that ptsd goes away when you're back in a military situation right that's yes. total bullshit yeah it's like completely the opposite is gonna happen uh, uh, well it seemed a little self-aware because it's not working well for him yeah. yeah, he's he's in the field and he's like shutting down. But I, I love that line. He's like, well, as long as he's in the shit, he's going to be fine. Like, ah, you scared of snakes? Well, uh, welcome to the snake pit. And you just push it in like, I'm not scared of snakes anymore. Actually, it yeah. worked for Indiana. I just watched Raiders. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, the PTSD, whatever it's called then, yeah, it's totally nakedly a plot device, not a character device. And that's probably that's what gives you the shits, yeah? <laughs> exactly. I mean, something that we should call out here. This was definitely true in like First Blood. And there's another movie that I'm now blanking on that we've talked about this year that was very overtly about the fallout of Vietnam, right? They reference it, they talk about it. Uh, and in this one, it's like 
we as a country, in a Hollywood way, I realize, really need to reckon with the fact that we ask these people to do awful things and they're suffering now that they're back here in America. Or it seeps, seeps or its seeps way into, into it. it. Yeah. Plot device is a great way to put it. And I think that's that's the thing about lazy writing. Even the heist. I hate heists where you, know, you put on a mustache and everybody thinks you're somebody else. <laughs> Literally, he mm-hmm. does that, doesn't he? Yeah, he does yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And then it happens. Like, which select, Even though you're not really qualified to be an intelligence agent, it happens to be that the Russian pilot is your exact body size and weight and uh, yeah, you right, can fit right. into this cockpit perfectly. Like something like <laughs> that is so weird, you know? You we- can write around that. Like you can make this heist work without these cheap bookends, or not bookends, uh, these cheap little pieces, keys or whatever. Yeah, it, feel, it feels a little bit unearned when it's just yeah. like given to you along the way. I just will say this. Through. When he first walks out, just like his first walk out in like that skin tight black uniform, Dark helmet as is like pilot? Oh. Oh. as as a pilot like uh, who knew that Clint Eastwood invented Daft Punk is what I thought <laughs> as he was walking out. There's a moment from this film. I, I this is gonna be my, my last Bronco Billy reference, but at the very beginning of this movie, where it's like, well, what do you want me to do about it? It's like you have to steal it. He basically looks like looks dead at the camera <laughs> when they say it. It's like what who me and like shrugs at the camera almost. This must have been something he was playing around with because in Bronco Billy, it, I died laughing because there's this thing that happens at the very beginning. Spoiler alert for Bronco Billy. He he's a knife thrower. He like blindfolds himself and he throws knives mm-hmm. at someone's getting spun around and he accidentally hits the girl like he stabs her into the leg and he throws a knife. Yeah. And then there's these two stagehands that are like, oh, and they look at the camera and it like goes to clean. He's like, oh, and then it goes to the horse and the horse looks at the camera like, what? What? (laughs) It's so (laughs) stupid, but it's so funny to me. I I laughed so hard when (laughs) that moment happens. Three or four fourth wall breaks. Yeah. yeah. But it was basically a fourth wall break here too at the beginning because he basically like Jim's Jim from the office of it. At the beginning. I wonder if we fucked up by having to watch First Blood first. Well, because, maybe. you know, our our expectations of uh, PTSD or shell shock, the the bar was raised too high because <laughs> you watch Stallone, who, I mean, mm-hmm. people can argue that he's, job, yeah. yeah, he's not, is he a great actor? Who knows? But he's so good at that type of acting. When you watch First Blood, it's uh, engaging to watch a guy who doesn't do well in a stressful situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this one, when they started doing all the flash, all, that's all I kept thinking about. It's like, well, oh, Stallone did this better. I, I can't, I can't buy into it. So Well- in this movie, someone who's got PTSD lives in a really rich environment with that, you know, the fireplace and a, yeah. a very good circumstances and he's not homeless like Stallone. Yeah. Yeah. That's I was going to say, there's, a, there's another, there's a bit of a meta joke, you know, when he gets past one of the checkpoints in the underground and Warren, his handler says, you know, I watched your performance. Not very convincing. <laughs> um, that was juicy. That was nice. Yeah. Yeah. I did like that. It's like, okay, he, he kind of knows. Like, that's, that's the part of the cleaners where I like is that he's not afraid to sometimes be the butt of the joke, which is fun. Yeah. And all I'm looking at is three butts. I still can't get over though. And when he's in his spy mode, like, I yeah. think we're supposed to intuit that he is speaking in Russian, even though he's speaking uh-huh. in English. I think that's what we're supposed to take away from that. But then sometimes people will be speaking in Russian. And I always kind of hate that. It's like, either do one or the other. Don't flip back and forth is always confusing me. It's like, so wait, now are they actually speaking in English or are you supposed to just think that they're not speaking in English at this point? Anyway, well, Hunt that's for a- Red October. Hunt for Red October hadn't come out. Isn't that widely judged as the best way you deal with that? You the zoom in and then mm-hmm. you switch from the English. Yeah. You switch over. Yeah. yeah. You can't beat that. Not a good movie 
Uh, but Valkyrie does the exact same thing with uh, Tom Cruise, where they speak in oh, German okay. for like the first 30 seconds and then everything flips. And then it's like, OK, great. We're just in English for the rest of this movie. Did, uh, yeah, I wonder. Yeah, somebody should do a catalog of how people do do that. I'm trying to think of like Last Samurai Fury. I mean, did we did we want Sean Connery to try and be a Russian though? Did we <laughs> speak in a Russian accent the wow. entire time? Yeah, the movie did well. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember liking. It. I haven't seen it as well in like twenty years. But uh, who's the best? Who's the best? Jack Ryan, right? Was it Alec? Oh, he hadn't killed no. anybody yet. So no. I mean, <laughs> if we're talking about just you know Harrison quality of the character, I'm I'm going with Harrison for it every day of the week. Okay, let's do this. Let's do some backstory here, and then we'll talk about some of the other plot points going on. This movie was released on June 18th of 1982. So if I remember correctly, that's actually before First Blood. So this movie was released before First Blood. It is rated 2.7 out of 5 on Letterboxd. It has a 5.9 out of 10 on IMDb. has a 44 on Metacritic and on Rotten Tomatoes. From 16 critics, it has a 38%. From 10,000 plus users, it has a 42%. It's available on DVD and Blu-ray, and you can currently purchase it or rent it on iTunes and YouTube. Its budget, supposedly, uh, is $21 million. It would go on to make $46 million at the box office, which Adjusted for inflation is $143 million that it made. Although just based on its budget, that would have been like not great return. Yeah. Its plot description is a pilot is sent into the Soviet Union on a mission to steal a prototype jet fighter that can be partially controlled by a Neuralink. I like that anyone would know what a Neuralink is in 1982, (laughs) but regardless. All right, this is now everyone's favorite portion of the show. We are going to play a game called Guess Guess That Tag. John, you get to be our first contendent, or contendent, contestant. You're going to be our first contestant. I get to put on this like fancy little blazer. I'm using this really long microphone like Bob Barker used to use on The Price is Right. American reference. A very American <laughs> reference. That's right. Um, I know from Happy Gilmore. That's so. That's all I know. Anyway, go oh, that's continue. Right. <laughs> um, Kyle might punch you. Yeah. It's, uh, what's a what's a what's a game show down in Australia? Upsies downsies or something? I don't know. I'm making something up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Just offending I'm offended. <laughs> I thought we had a Commonwealth for poor, but you guys are bad, <laughs> right? <laughs> we are the Commonwealth. We were colonized by the same people. We each Which, have the queen on our money, so we do. We do, we do share that. And soon, King Charles. King Charles will be on our... <laughs> By the time then, I, I wonder if Canada will vote uh, no. You know? Yeah. They may, they may change their mind. I don't know how that works, to be honest with you, but... Have you had a referendum? We uh, had a referendum re- in 2000 and it failed. 52%. About money? About getting rid of the Queen, becoming a constitutional uh, republic. I know that we... I, I, there's, there's rumblings about it, but mm. right now we're dealing with uh, Trump... Trump I, inceptions. So, I don't. Uh, people want people want Trump here. It's fucking yeah, nuts. Well, yeah, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Uh, my my Sorry. gut suspicion <laughs> is that it could not happen with the Queen still on the throne. No, people like her too, too powerful. Much. Yeah, yeah, that's the consensus here too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When when she finally decides to uh, ascend, mm-hmm. uh, people do not if like she Charles. Does, yeah. So yeah, she is a vampire probably, <laughs> or Scientologist perhaps. But uh, anyways, let's get back to the game. Yes. Uh, the game here is that when you go to see a movie in a movie theater, you'll be greeted with like a row of posters, usually, you know, beautiful images. And there's usually a little line of uh, text that's on those to help you entice you to want to go and see those movies. So these I, there are three options here. One of these is the actual tagline that appeared on the Firefox poster. 
The other two, completely made up by me. Mm. So, John, you're going to be our first contestant, like I said. You have to decide, was the tagline for Firefox the most devastating killing machine ever built? His job? Steal it. Or was it, he survived Vietnam, but can he survive this? And lastly, is it, the Soviets have nothing to fear but him. He has nothing to fear except himself. What do you think the tagline was on Firefox? Dave, do you give a drum roll normally? Um, <laughs> just add some maybe. suspense yeah. that this movie doesn't have. Um, well, I think clearly it's A, right? The number one? That's the one? The most devastating yeah. killing machine ever built? His job steal it? Yes. You are correct. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and Dave doesn't get to play, I just realized, because I just revealed the answer. So. <laughs> did, you, did you have a gut suspicion, Dave? Yeah, the first one sounded right, but I liked... Mm-hmm. Uh, Three. You're getting better yeah. at these, Kyle. Um, they're <laughs> getting very... Yeah. I mean, if, if John wasn't a Clint Eastwood aficionado, I think this would have given a lot of people trouble. Can I tell you what Roger Ebert's, one of his taglines was? Sure. Dirty Harry has died and gone to Atari heaven. <laughs> I, like I think I did part. read that this morning, which is <laughs> uh, so good. This stars, of course, Clint Eastwood as Mitchell Gant, Freddie Jones as Kenneth Aubrey, David Huffman as Captain Buchholz, and Warren Clark as Pavel Upinsko. Upinsko, I I don't know. I can't speak Russian. Dave, anything you want to say about these actors? Anyone want to say anything about these actors? I didn't even know other people in it, so I just assumed we'd already talked about Clint. Yeah, these are a lot of character actors in this. Yeah. So, no disrespect for these character actors. Uh, I did not (laughs) research any of you, and because we spoke at length about Clint's very interesting, uh, not just career, but his personal life, um, I didn't really get into it too much but uh, yeah i would definitely go back if people are listening both the play misty for me and the dirty harry episode mm-hmm. we do go pretty far into like the whole overview of clint eastwood's career so if you want to listen to that you can check out those episodes the cinematography for this film was done by a man by the name of bruce surtees oh yeah who's top four on imdb at least other films that he was a cinematographer for were were Conquest of the Planet of the Apes in 1972. It seems like we cannot escape the Planet yeah. of the Apes. Like, the it apes seems that everyone is connected everywhere. to them somehow. Okay. Uh, escape from Alcatraz in 1979. Okay. Dirty Harry, 1971. So There's he's worked with Clint a few times. Uh, but also Beverly Hills Cop from 1984. He was a oh. cinematographer for that. Interesting. Also, his father was a distinguished cinematographer too. Oh, I didn't know that. Who did like did a Star do? is Born, the, the Chris Cofferson one. The 60s mm. and 70s was his big period, I think. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, drop. That's it. Yeah. And he also did Risky Business, Bruce Atees, I think. Or, oh, no? interesting. Okay, yeah. cool. I just found out that um, David Crosby's dad was like a famous cinematographer too. <laughs> I actually didn't know that <laughs> until like this mm. week. It's like he, he, he's done a bunch of stuff. Written by... Alex Lasker and Wendell Wellman, based on the novel by Craig Thomas, and of course directed by Clint Eastwood. I think we should start with Craig Thomas, the writer of the book. He's a Welshman uh, from Wales, and after unsuccessfully trying to become a scriptwriter for radio, he turned his attention to books. So his wife was his editor, at least uh, for a little while, and his writing primarily can be broken out into two main genres. One, essays and books on philosophical thought, but also two, Techno thrillers. He did a lot of these. There's uh, even a point of contention I've discovered here 
about his contribution to the genre. So most people will say Tom Clancy. Tom Clancy is the innovator of the techno thriller genre. But there is a very vocal minority that says that Thomas technically started it a few years before Tom Clancy released his book so that he, Craig Thomas should be the one who is considered the originator or the innovator of the genre. Regardless, 1977, he publishes the book Firefox. Uh, and because I know nothing about planes, I did read about this, but there's other controversy surrounding the picture on the first paperback edition because of how much it emulated something that the public didn't know about yet. <laughs> and the, they, they gave a bunch of plane numbers what? and serial number things. I was like, I'm so lost at what this actually means. Is it the SR-71? I'll look it up. Big thing is that uh, it referenced something that didn't exist, quote unquote, yet. Uh, the other thing that he brought into this, the science fiction part of the story was the idea of stealth. So maneuvering where radar could not pick up your aircraft, which was also being secretly worked on at the time uh, and was not known to the broader general public uh, and would not have been known in 1977 when the book was released, would probably have been known by 1982 when the movie is released. But at least in 77, that was kind of a big science fiction-y thing. The book, by the looks of it, follows essentially the same plot. It would go on to have three sequels in book form yeah. written about yeah. it. Uh, and I wish there was more information written about the production of this movie because they gave screenwriting duties to Alex Lasker with this being his first produced script. And then Wendell Wellman is an actor who is still working and has never written anything again. <laughs> so it's so weird to me that these are the two people who, wow. who were asked to kind of step in and write the, write the story. I will say that for Wendell Wellman, there are two other projects currently in development. So maybe he will have another credit at some point. We've talked about where, where Clint was in his career. There doesn't seem to be an agreement on how much this movie costs. I know I gave a budget here a moment ago, but they say it's 20 million. But there's also reports that the special effects by themselves cost $20 million. So I don't actually know what the true budget is for this movie. I have a feeling that this movie lost money for the studio, uh, which is kind of a rare thing for Clint Eastwood, to be honest with you. He usually yeah. comes under budget and under time. So I can't believe it'll cost that much. In 1982, then, I agree. Yeah. Like, that does seem a lot, a lot of it money. It sounds but. painstaking, like matte paintings, right? You've got to put yeah. one across the other. It's really difficult, as they explain, because it's mm -hmm. not in space where it's black and you can hide things here. The, the lines are going to be really obvious. But I can't believe it. it sounds more like a painstaking thing you, you get people yeah. to do rather than being, being a big money. I agree. Player. I mean, I will say from some of the reviews I, I read for the, at the time, people were pretty blown away by the special effects in this movie. So, yeah. I think I read that, that the special effects... Sorry, I'm trying to read it here, but I can't find it. I think I read that the special effects were a new innovation on blue screen shooting mm. so they may have spent a lot of money i don't remember the technical details but something about the way you know it was overlaid was something i don't know new if they can get a better texture mapping uh matching right. but you know it's 2022 and i i didn't buy it so <laughs> sure what a what a Fine. prick but whatever i think clint is okay sleeping on his mound of money i'll say like regardless of it being a critical failure at the time and a little bit disappointing at the box office they did make a video game out of this <laughs> on laserdisc on laserdisc published by atari so wow. the fact that this and like the et <laughs> video game came out in the same year really were hurting et or really hurting atari's <laughs> a bank accounts at this time i wonder what the game would have been like just i like want to know how much that sells for now firefox on laserdisc amazing <laughs> i did want to mention i was listening i don't know if you've ever heard the podcast omnibus but they were talking about you know the big 
video game crash of 1983. Mm-hmm. And they mentioned the statistics, like, Prior to the crash, something like video games were generating a revenue of like $40 billion or something. I couldn't believe that. And they were comparing that to the, the grosses of Hollywood at that time, which was about mm-hmm. six, $6 billion. And you saw how, how something had- an industry had grown up in five years that had just taken over Hollywood. It just surpassed the, uh, yeah. the, the financial of Hollywood. And you can sort of see, well, Clint- Maybe Clint's thinking, oh, yeah, I've got to get into this science fiction. Yeah, I can see that, too. I mean, we touched on that very briefly in our E.T. episode here this season about that crash, specifically Mm. E.T. just bombing so spectacularly that they had to make uh, landfills out of just E.T. games out in the middle of the desert. (laughs) Or so they say that might be one of those apocryphal stories that aren't actually 100% true. But regardless, the idea that there was such a big crash that video games could have been completely wiped out had it not been for Nintendo, like that is just an interesting thing. Because now games absolutely outgross Hollywood year over year pretty substantially. I just wonder who who did Clint think was really going to watch this movie? Like, did he think it was just going to be his ironed on fans? Did he really mm. think it had a chance of getting in the kiddies? And if he did, why was it just like a 20 minute section at the end? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe you have a, a better idea on this, uh, Dave. For me, this feels really much like a 50 year old man trying to figure that out. Because I think he's still beholden to be like, well, this is what I want to watch as a 50-year-old man in 1982. But I'll give something in for the teenagers because they'll want to come and watch like the dog fighting and that kind of stuff. But I don't think he serves, he definitely doesn't serve the teenage audience, I don't think, in in this movie. And I don't know if he serves the adult audience either. I mean, I I don't think Clint's ever been interested in the youth youth. He seems to have a good feeling on different generations of adult viewers. So in other words, you know, he tackles fairly mature. Like I, I, this is the feeling I get with this film. He's trying to bring in, and maybe it's from the book, but political intrigue, uh, some sci-fi elements, what do you call it? Cultural discussion about Vietnam, et cetera. But those mm-hmm. are all people that are going to be in their 30s, 40s, or above. Yeah. He plays the cowboy. I mean, I don't think he has any choice, but that's an audience that he's fully aware of, like you said, are probably also 50 years old. So you don't get a lot of youthfulness. You know, I think that's what surprised both of us when we watched Play Misty for me. That had a very youthful vibe. I know he's, mm. you know, uh, 40 11 something. years young. Yeah, 11 years yeah. younger, but that thing played for a fun, you know, thriller audience. It's mm-hmm. so campy and, and cheeseball and kind of scary because uh, Jessica, what's her face? Walter was so good because she she goes oh, fucking I nuts. Mean, she was amazing yeah. in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that but had more fun yeah. and and the cheesy title uh, text mm. uh, fonts <laughs> that they use like it's cartoonish, oh. right? I, I I'm telling you like I can tell you liked it, but yeah, I, I cringe well, a bit when you say cheese ball because I, I quite yeah. like it as a serious yeah. as a serious oh, yeah. thriller. Actually, well, that's yeah. the thing we we both really liked Play Misty for me. It was surprising, mm. but. You know, it had that little Brady Bunch feel at the beginning. So it's, but that's what I mean. I think that's something where if Clint's playing for a younger audience, he'll do, he'll try things like that. But this one, it's just so middling. It's, it's just stuck somewhere. And I don't, mm-hmm. I just, I, I honestly don't think he knew who it was for. Are there any aspects though? Like, I know we've kind of waded into the negative here quite a bit. What aspects did you enjoy about it? Are there any aspects that you enjoyed out of it, Dave? I don't know. I mean, like any, yeah. Any heist film, anything where we're going to watch somebody work through obstacles, um, the middle portion where he has absolutely no idea what he's doing and he's taken through mm-hmm. uh, the gauntlet in Russia, watching this 
Um, the Gauntlet was the movie before this, actually. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, drug kingpin gets shot to be a cover for his body. I mean, that stuff's good. You're like, oh shit! Like this, they're they're taking this very seriously. They just murdered a dude, punched him to death. Yeah, yeah, and then it kind of oh, that's right. They they beat him to death, and you get to watch it. Uh, if that was made today, we would have seen the body more. <laughs> Up to the point, I think, where he meets the scientist. Once he's smuggled onto the base, I think they start losing some steam, and uh, they have to face. The decision they made for him to take a three-hour shower because at that point it stops making sense those tiles those red tiles so delicious mm. i really like the i'd love yeah. to have a shower like that just to talk <laughs> well just to talk about again going back to him as the director not the actor in this there are some pretty great like uh production design shots uh apparently they built compositions the and stuff yeah yeah the plane's real yeah i mean it doesn't do mach 5 i don't think Oh, he didn't pull a, a Tom Cruise? <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't actually flying at Mach 5 while he was filming? Well, I don't think human beings can fly at Mach 5. I'm pretty oh, sure. I don't know. Tom five Cruise times, try. Yeah. I, I can't remember the threshold for manned flight, but uh, five times the speed of sound sounds like your eyeballs melt into your face. Uh, in Top Gun Maverick, he goes Mach 6. So <laughs> that's what his little dial says. <laughs> the movie that's really fast. talks down. The movie talks down to American omnipotence because you know they have to the russians have come up with this really good thing on their own and we're stealing it from them it seems a bit of a low thing that america actually that is a good point like this had to have been written by a welshman and not an american because no american writer would be like oh americans can't do this (laughs) by themselves look at uh rocky four you know you're Mm -hmm. setting up a super villain right i Mm -hmm. mean then as we were talking about the true Russian incompetence is they have absolutely no idea that Clint's there. Even mm. when they don't do know, they can't find him. Well, and yeah, then the they figure out he's got to be on so, the base. I mean, that's impossible. And they can't figure out how to stop him. <laughs> you know, it's that's the part where they get to feel superior. But you mm-hmm. always need a threat, right? Uh, if they're like, well, they probably don't have a plane. Nobody's going to watch the movie. So, yeah. <laughs> no, I was just going to talk about some plot plot holes but i don't know if it's really worth the sort of movie you're really <laughs> worth bringing them up but when they're sort of establishing his identity and they're saying you know the guy that we photographed at the checkpoint isn't the same guy that came into moscow airport mm. i was thinking how do they know i mean no internet yeah. you, back then you i mean maybe there was cctv footage at moscow airport right. but it's not as if they took photocopies of everyone who arrives through the or maybe back to get in Russia those days, you had to submit your papers a day in advance or something. But like, how would they, how would they know the identity of what he looked like? Like maybe, yeah, anyway, they get a character sketch done by the, the first guard that sees him. I don't know. How would you? The nose is way too big because he's like a caricature artist. <laughs> and the second part was when they kill the real Sprague, like his real, what do you call it? Patsy, the guy that his mm-hmm. identity is, yeah. And they pummel him. Yeah. Once again, a dirty Harry link there. Two people get beaten up mm-hmm. um in the face but they could have played it more he was suspicious of his minders now like what's really going on can i trust them right but he just sort of accepts it and gets on the underground and it's not really a big plot point that could have been a, yeah, that's, a, a, that's the thing i think I'm he like, tried lot- he just couldn't pull it off yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. that's why i keep coming back to i think a lot of these plot points probably do make sense in the book because mm-hmm. you can hear his internal thoughts and rationalizing it or he's trying to not array yeah. arise suspicion or something like there's probably some motivation that just is not fully communicated on screen for us to really figure it out. That plane was hot though. I would have interfaced with it all night long. One thing I wanted to ask about, again, Eastwood as the director, we, we kind of talked about this, but can you think of another movie where he really did try to include like big special effects? Like obviously 
every modern movie has some level of special effects in it nowadays, especially ones released by studio. Like Sully, I'm sure, had some plane shots that were composited and stuff like that. But anything like this that we're really were trying to be bold in special effects. Yeah, well, if you, I mean, if you're generous, you could compare Sully to this in that you've got an ordinary man faced with a overwhelming situation you know um i guess the big one is obviously what he did exactly 20 years later almost space cowboys mm. which mm-hmm, i don't know mm-hmm. if you've seen that dave have you Kyle? I have but seen um that. Yeah. yeah very tasteful special effects there's something to be said about the early 2000s where they sort of got some things right or it doesn't look as doesn't well, they were, they were look still as probably doing half models have yeah. special effects at that time for, for certain projects. I mean, like the Lord of the Rings movies and stuff like that still look pretty great. <laughs> but that's what they were doing is like kind of half and half. Industrial Light and Magic um, actually mm. helped out um, helped out on that movie. So, Space Cowboys, I guess, is really big special effects. You've got the low-grade special effect. We didn't direct it, but uh, in the line of fire when they sort of morph mm-hmm. him in with the JFK footage. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there's no really big high-spectacle stakes, really. Space Cowboys is the big one. Maybe, they- maybe that's his yeah. next one at 93. <laughs> <laughs> deep fake his youth. It'll be dirty, hairy, uh, sex. I would stand up and applaud because I think it would be so ludicrous. It's like, yes, I, I have a passion project. I'm going to be uh, making the Ant and the Wasp 4, actually. I'm really <laughs> passionate about this movie. <laughs> Just jump on the Marvel train. I'm really passionate that apart from Dirty Harry series, Clint's never done a movie set in San Francisco itself. That's one little thing I'd like mm. to tick off before he shuffles off the mm. Go coil. back to San Fran. Say goodbye to San Francisco one last time. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> I also amazing. want him to be in one more movie with Andy Robinson from Dirty Harry. Just a completely right. different. They're just. Oh, that was so good together. Yeah. They, they both have to go and bury the orangutan. That's uh, what that <laughs> is. <laughs> in well, you San know, Francisco. <laughs> there are allegations that one of the. Is it Clyde or Manus was mistreated? And. Um, oh, I yeah, the, uh, yeah, don't so disbelieve it. Story. Having watched all those movies from 1971 where it's like, oh, they literally just killed that horse. Oh, we watched on a lot yeah, of like there's, a, there's a lot of those things that happen. Oh, like, we oh that watching, monkey uh, totally killed. Totally, have you, totally have you seen uh, Walkabout? Is it? No, no. Uh, what's the- <laughs> No, it's uh, Wake and Fright. Wake and Fright. Oh, Wake and Fright. Yeah, yeah. Oh, movie, we, yeah. yeah. You get to watch, what is it? 10 minutes of people murdering just kangaroos. Murdering kangaroos. Holy like, it's just shit. just a lot of kangaroo yeah. death. I just learned, Kyle, which John will probably know this- Kangaroos can swim apparently very well. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Even more so their relatives, the wallabies, I think are even better. But yes. Right? Wow. We Canadians. Yeah, we had no idea, but they're very strong. So we were watching a documentary about sharks and uh, they talked about some kangaroos. Really, really weird. Did you know, this is just a complete aside because we live here in Canada. We have moose here, of course, like the big uh, antlered animals. Do you know that Exotic. the number one killer of moose is killer whales oh that's because moose swim and they'll go into the ocean and then the killer whale will come just eat the wow <laughs> so even more than wolves and other animals that try and feed on them it's like I it's killer whales that kill more of them i now am going to have to youtube this somebody must have caught that on video by now because uh, that would be something to see mm-hmm. uh-huh. <laughs> so firefox uh, <laughs> uh any last thoughts before we wrap up i guess i'm saying it's 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 unique in Clint's acting oeuvre in that yeah. he's just a cipher. He's a blank. He, there's usually movies, he's always some sort of, I won't glorify him by saying an anti-hero, but he's sort of a bit of a, a smart ass. He's not part mm-hmm. of the system. Here he's just so passive. It's just lots of, 
people talking at him. Here's what you have to do. Here's the mission. He's got no yeah. real motivation except to survive. Like, it's not like, we've got your daughter here and you have to do it or she'll die. Or There's no commando element. Like, there's nothing to compel him really on the mission except maybe rah-rah patriotism. And it's quite yeah. unique to have a movie where Clint's just a, a non-entity, really. I think that's actually a pretty astute point. Maybe that's also the part where I just was not connecting with it because I wanted, like, my classic Clint scowl and you know yeah uh, growl at people and that's not really what this is that's not what this movie is so and it's a shame because it's been over a decade since play misty which is really mm -hmm. he doesn't back then he didn't do thrillers that often so or right yeah it's just a wasted opportunity i guess we're done here all right well the machinist said that we do have to wrap this up so let's get into critics choice this is the part of the show where we discover what the critics thought at the time that this film was released roger ebert loved this movie he thought it was great he gave it three and a half stars out of four wow and he finishes of off his review by writing this i wouldn't dream of giving away the plot but I will say that the movie's climax is a sensational high-altitude dogfight between two different firefoxes, and that as Eastwood occupies the Firefox cockpit, surrounded by video screens and computer displays of flight patterns and missile trajectories, it looks as if Dirty Harry has died and gone to Atari heaven. The special effects are really pretty good in this movie. The planes look surprisingly real to me. And the choreography of the dogfight was not only realistic, but understandable. There's one sensational chase sequence that's an homage to Star Wars. Remember the Star Wars scene where the two ships chased each other between the towering walls of the city in space? Eastwood and his Russian pursuer rocket through a crevice between two ice cliffs, and it looks great, even while we're realizing it's logically impossible. I guess that goes for the whole movie. So that was his thoughts on this movie. He loved it. Although I will say he predominantly through his career, he was a big Clint fan. He liked a lot of the Clint Eastwood stuff. Pauline Kale, who you'll also remember us before, hated <sighs> Clint Eastwood's guts. <laughs> Fucking hated him. Um, but you know she he went, you know, he went apparently, apparently, apocryphal, yeah. went to a psych psychoanalyst and said, why did you? Why does Pauline Kale hate me? <laughs> Allegedly. Anyway. I mean, there's a not so subtle reference in the last Dirty Harry movie, even, that yes. is supposed to be Pauline Kale where she gets murdered. Yep. But um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, she did not review this movie, surprise of surprises. Um, so uh, I went on to Letterboxd to try and find somebody, and I found the River Jordan, who gave this, <laughs> gave this two and a half stars out of five. Uh, and what they said was, Firefox is ahead in the intelligence game because it predicts with precise accuracy a type of action film that would consume cinemas several decades after its original release. Knowing the state of the world to come, though, doesn't always put one's mind at ease or make for a good movie. Firefox has one thing and one thing only really going for it. Eastwood as the actor with the committed Americanness. Eastwood plays up to the absurdity of the situation that he would ever be the best to send into Soviet territory for anything but the most obvious of disruptions. Firefox has also one thing against it. Eastwood, the director, here in a period of comfortable confidence in his career that he hadn't, he hadn't yet learned to choose projects more interesting. Firefox, with its globe-trotting intrigue without excitement, seems better suited to the grim post-9-11 era of action thrillers. It bungles its chance to make the most, of, the most of the waning Cold War aesthetics and proceeds into its espionage plot with a joyless plotting that is a bleak precursor to the coming century. And like 110 people like that review. Yeah, I don't know. Any, any responses to those? I, I zoned out with the second one, as I often do with letterbox <laughs> reviews. <clears throat> These, uh... Joyless. Joyless is pretty accurate. <laughs> no, There's not much joy. I do kind of... 
think they're on to one aspect, which is having gone to the movie theaters the most in my life, basically post 9-11. Like, mm. I just graduated university and everything, so I was going to the movie theaters a lot and watch a lot of those, like, intrigue, spy, techno-thriller things. Mm. And they are all, all, that's how exactly I would describe them. Like, joyless, no fun, like, <laughs> sapped of energy, like, is like, everything's bad sort of thing, so... I get, I get kind of what they're saying is that, yeah, this predicted something that would happen years later, but I don't know if it's uh, by choice. So I guess we have to answer the question that we ask every week on this podcast, which is, does this hold up and is it still culturally relevant? Uh, John, what do you say? I say it's not particularly culturally relevant. How about that Laserdisc video game, though? I'm pretty <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. I didn't even know you could get videos on uh, Laserdisc. No. I thought it was solely video. So, there you go. I learned something. We are now accustomed to more sensitive portrayals of post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. So, it was a wasted opportunity. But then, I don't know what the diagnos- diagnostic manual said about it back then. Maybe, right. maybe back in 1982, it was very inaccurate, too. So, that's a bit of a wasted opportunity. Obviously, a plane that follows your thoughts, that could be a really good idea if it was really done properly. What are the uh, implications for that? What if, you know, you suddenly think, I need to have a piss. And then how does that, how, does, how do you filter for those sort of thoughts? That Ejected sort of stuff? straight oh. out of the plane. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Dave? How, how relevant yeah. is it? Yeah, it doesn't none, hold none up for relevant. me. No, but, uh, you know, it does, like all science fiction it always points somewhere, right? And we get, mm-hmm. always get that conversation of whether they predict or the future is inspired by and copies sure. what fantasies writers have. Yeah, so the Neuralink thing was wasted. You know, what if it shouldn't have been played more, not just the language aspect, but just not working? Um, I don't know. Or just being a virtual reality thing sort of thing. Something, like that something been- yeah, could have tron it. All the Tron's coming out, so they Tron's don't- coming up, yeah. They don't know yet <laughs> that they can do that. Um, Kai, what did you guys think of the whole dissidence subplot? Um, was that an effort to ground it in a bit of realism? Uh, did you oh, find that- Oh, with the, uh, yeah. uh, with the underground? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they're going to be sent to Siberia after well, they've done the plane. I don't know. I'll speak for myself first. Um, I appreciated that- Mostly because, A, I'm, I'm sure that is something that is close to being true, right? Not mm. every single person is in lockstep with what their government is pushing them to do. And I, I think even Clint, maybe this is why he liked the book initially, was like, I can't portray all Russia as being evil. Sure, the people in power are, and we can show them being like uh, corruptible, but there has to be kind of this flip side of someone like, there can be a better way through this. But I don't know. It worked for yeah. me, I guess. Yeah, it's tropey, but you need, yeah, I think that's right. You need a human element to make spy work work. You know, it's impossible if a chess game is played with two robots. It's not engaging. You know, we need to break to break, a breakthrough of defense. There's got to be a chink yeah. in the armor, and that's typically some human thing. We've, I think traditional spies used to use women a lot. Uh, spy movies, I should say, use women mm. or femme fatales in the reverse. But, you know, the <laughs> idea of a, of a resistance movement, I mean, that's not a new concept, but it works It works well enough in this. I like the reveal, I mean, just to be positive about the film, that it's not at the beginning of the character's introduction. So, we are actually, as like you were bringing up, John, we're unsure of his motive. And if Clint was a better actor, we could have probably built yeah. that into something much more suspenseful so that by the end, when they have that heart to heart in the van and you realize this guy's on the up and up, he just grew up, you know, in a different way. And he's 
he's pretty rough and tumble, but when he learned that his family's been probably dead, but his wife's in prison or whatever it is, then we get that uh, sympathy in that moment and we can trust that this project is actually going to turn out well. But because the acting and the direction up to that point had become so tepid, I, you know, I, I found myself not really caring um, yeah. by that point. But it's in there. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you want this to movie was remade, if it was remade today, they definitely have cuts cupping back and forth to the hangar and the scientists oh, occasionally 100%. experiencing prejudice. Yeah. yeah. 100%. We would have seen his wife in that way. be imprisoned. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, um, too much, either, I'm sure. It would have been going the other way. Well, that is, you know, what uh, myself, John, and Dave thought here this week. Before we rate this movie, we want to know what you think of this movie. So you can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. We also release videos onto our YouTube channel talking about the movies we discuss each week. And if you want to see the entire list of films that we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page, letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the next apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month. Something that you can do for absolutely free, though, is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. John, I always feel so bad when we have a guest, but um, because your rating doesn't matter. But uh, if you were to rate this movie, what would you rate it out of five? I would give it three out of five. Mm. With the caveat... I don't ever need to watch it again. <laughs> I'm happy to keep it a three out of five. Happy. Saw the film. Don't need to rewatch it. Dave, what are you going to give uh, Firefox? Um, yeah, it's a tough one. It's just because we're on a string of fairly middling movies. So I feel like I'm repeating myself a lot with these scores. Uh, I'm actually going to go a little bit lower. I'm going to go with the two. I would mm. like to give it a 2.5. But honestly, even as we're talking about it, I watched it last week and I'm, I've forgotten so much. I just, I can't remember. Even Johnny bringing up the uh, truck driver and having his uh, rebellion, I totally forgot about that mm-hmm. scene, which is actually pretty important in the plotting. So I'm okay with not All knowing right. that this movie exists. Well, and, Dave, yeah. uh, shock upon shocks, <laughs> I am actually aligned with you. I'm also giving it a two. Oh, that's pretty week. low for you. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I, uh, a huge apology. I think, I think it is because we're in this string, right? Of like, oh man, is it the worst movie? No. Is the great movie? No. But I, I like you, I'm, by next week, I'm going to like, Bronco Billy was such a great movie. What was the movie he made after that? I don't remember. I don't remember what the movie is that he made after Bronco <laughs> Billy. <laughs> you should um, choose okay. to remember um, the movie that followed this a few months later, uh, Honky Tonk Man, another small yeah. character piece. Sort of like, yeah. Yeah, think about like Crazy Heart a- or Tender Mercies. That's a good great movie, yeah. I've heard that. It's actually very good. Like most people like that. So maybe we'll do that as a bonus episode. I was going to ask, are we watching day. that? Why did we yeah. pick this one? We should have watched the other one. Yeah. Uh, this one is called Firefox. <laughs> Firefox. I've just quickly, I Googled it and the fastest fighter plane was about Mach 3-ish uh-huh. in this era. But there was a plane that was designed for space travel in 70, sorry, give me a second here, 1967 that went to Mach 6.7. Wow. So the concept of a fighter plane doing Mach 5 is, is actually quite... Uh, new um yeah but real mm. you know it's not okay. totally science fiction it's just it wasn't possible uh, it wasn't they, public knowledge right and yeah they they load these things with fucking tons of munitions so to push that plane mm. up uh is crazy but there was a manned sure. flight mach 6.7 so that is going to average to two it is going to tie with two other films so let's go from the bottom up here dave do you think this is better or worse than dead men don't wear plaid i think it's better 
Oh yeah, Maybe. I was gonna say there's no way you're gonna say this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, here might be the hard one. I don't know. Um, how about the world according to Garp? Do you think this is better or worse? I think it's better. I mean, I know we'll upset people because some people really look at that movie fondly. Which I don't really get, but that's. I really the point. didn't like Garp, and this one at least. It's Clint, right? Like, at least, you know, he's going to punch somebody. So If you were given the choice to watch this or Garp again, like, <laughs> I'm going to watch Firefox again. Yeah. yeah. Well, that does mean it's going to enter into our list at the new number 26 position. So right above <laughs> the world according to Garp and right below Starstruck. Oh, you, you seen yeah. Starstruck? I was going to ask you, John. Have you seen? Oh, yeah. no, that's a, I've always thought that was a trashy, obnoxious uh, I, yeah, no, I, I, I don't like that movie. <laughs> it's yeah. terrible. Yeah, but it's, I hate uh, saying that because it's a female director, and yeah, yeah. Well, it's the thing about like me and Dave were so excited for it because it's how it's pitched to us. It was a it's a new wave musical. I'm like, well, sign me up. That sounds yeah, amazing. It's got to be good, and it's, it's not good. It's really <laughs> it's just not unfortunate. That's not. We good. get to see a very young Jeffrey Rush just walk right. through the screen for like which three is nice. seconds. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Before he uh, yeah. before he had to play the piano. Okay, well, let's push this button here and see what we're watching next week. Oh, very exciting. One of Wes Craven's early films. We're going to watch Swamp Thing. We're going to watch Swamp Thing. Oh, right. Yes, we haven't seen it yet. We didn't We didn't record it we out of order. We have not seen it or recorded an episode on it yet. Yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> Swamp Thing. Can't wait. <laughs> John, do you have any uh, thoughts on Swamp Thing? Have you ever seen it? Never even heard of it. I'm so sorry. Oh, no. Um, there you go. Sounds could be could be sexy. Could be terrifying. Based on the DC character of the same name. So I'm oh. sure it'll be interesting. It, it, it's yeah. it's not good. Uh, we haven't seen it yet, Dave. How could you possibly know? I think it's pretty good. So <laughs> there we go. Where are you getting off, John? Where are you even going to? Um, I think I'm going to stay here and, and rewatch um, Bronco Billy. Actually, oh, yeah, so I'm gonna perfect, stay here. Dave. You should join us. I guess you're stuck here <laughs> in the cabin anyway, so you're going to be watching it no matter what. John, I should also ask you if people wanted to uh, see what you're up to, follow you online. Is there a way to do so? The best is just DirtyHarryMinute.com. Also right. Dirty Harry Minute on Facebook. Um, we've finished the movie and uh, we're hoping to do a standalone review of the Indian remake of Dirty Harry from 1973 Whoa. in what? a few weeks. Yeah. Oh, it's quite so- a, that's another curio. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. What's that called? Um, pronounced by pronunciation of Hindi, but Kun Kun. Kun Kun means blood blood. Wow. And yeah. How long reportedly- is it? Four hours? Uh, it's two hours, two hours. Oh. <laughs> there's oh, only three nothing. There's only three musical numbers from memory, <laughs> and one of them is sung by the kids on the bus at the end. You know, that yeah. sort of facsimile of that scene. Are you being serious? Um, there's the, musical numbers? In? Yeah, no joke. Yeah, musical numbers. I, yeah. Well, I need to see this movie now. In this one, he's married um, He's <laughs> and has a nice uh, in-laws and, and so forth, so he's not very dirty. He's a pretty- He's called Dirty Harold. You know, he's, he's being proper. <laughs> Until the blood, blood. Yeah. <laughs> I'd kill so many people, but it'd be on purpose.